Welcome to the Amateur Skeptics number 232. Joining me this evening, Ian. Hey, I'm here to be doing the rocking and the rolling stuff, man, yeah. All right, that's vaguely racist. <laughs> <laughs> and the dumbass himself. I'm here. Where's my trophy? <laughs> well, so we're missing, of course, Mad Cat and, and, uh, and Mac because, you know, podcasters today, right? Mad Cat wishes she could be here, but she's having technical issues with her microphone and uh, can't talk to us. Uh-huh. Podcasters today. <laughs> Next machine, what sounds to me to be an overrated movie, but we'll get into top movie reviews some other time. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So, uh, Ian is, of course, going to hawk his shit. Of course. Well, although this one, everyone's connected to. That's true. Your name is in there at least twice, I think. Okay, good. The title page says, uh, Dead George Ramon's Place by Ian Brazy Cannon, um, inspired by concept and characters created by Brian Heisner. And then all the way at the end, you're mentioned again in the acknowledgments. Oh, good. So good. You, you're, you're, you know, you are given credit for what you inspired me with. Excellent. So what we're what we're talking about is my first actual full on novel I have written and published, and done all the fun editing. And oh my god, is there so much crap to do when you're doing the self publishing route? If you really want to make sure this your work is good. But the book's called A Day at George and Ramon's Place. It is available print, Kindle, and Nook. Uh, basically, the overall premise is an interdimensional hotel run by two gay dragons. Oh, so these, um, are, these are damn dirty homosexuals, right? Yes. Uh, they... Yeah, but I don't recommend you calling that to their face. Both of them are actually <laughs> quite... Uh, <laughs> Georgie is kind of quick to um, snap at you know that kind of thing, while Armand... Yeah, Armand's a cold, calculating little... <laughs> But um, no, the, the, um, basically the initial concept Brian came up with like 20 years ago for role playing. And I've kind of had it in my head for a long while that it'd be fun to try and do some stories using them. And so this is it all coming together. And um, it, I, honestly, I can say I've been working on this for over a, a decade now. So in I some have form or another. I haven't read it all. Right. But I really enjoyed the stuff that I have read of it cool. so i'm very i'm very well, excited I'm kind of saying, but instead of not having read it at all i haven't uh, i haven't read it all i haven't read it at all so <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun taking your characters and creating a backstory for them those are my favorite some of my favorite characters that, yeah you know and so they were in you know i just there were npcs that i used all the time well mostly georgie my mom sure. pretty much stayed at the hotel yeah that's true but no um, it's been it was interesting to figure them out, and they are way more complicated than you can imagine. Um, because in the novel, um, while the events are taking place, we do flashback stories showing actually the. Uh, um, it's I, I love to say it's basically when um, Harry met Sally, done to two gay dragons, because mm-hmm. it's, it's a three part story of basically the first three times they met and how their relationship builds over that. So I have a I have a small question about this. Um... Like as a as a straight man, was it difficult to portray gay characters without delving into like really strong stereotypes? Um, no, actually, I don't think. Um, well, uh, okay, Georgie is a drag queen, basically. Um, and, and and if you're talking about drag queens, then it's very easy to get into stereotypes about that kind extremely. of extremely. Yeah. So with with Georgie, you, you're straddling that the whole time. But I, Georgie's is uh, you you you. We we see Georgie's development in the flashback stories. That, that's one of the things that the flashback stories are told from Georgie's point of view, 
and we very much see him develop as a person into his interesting clothing and stuff. It's not like he just, you know, like that. He he develops into that person, and it's just how he is. It, it's never presented, oh, he's going to be gay. It's just how he is. And the fact that him and Ramonda are attracted, that was one of the more interesting scenes in the second flashback story, writing the love scene between them where they really, um, because I'm a straight guy, and I'm, uh, so what I basically did was, okay, how would, you know, it's male and male, but they're still going to have the same arousal stuff than if uh, me with a female. So I'll just write it that way with, you know, not necessarily thinking about gender per se, but thinking about arousal and two people, you know, getting to that point kind of thing. And in my I, mind, I, I, I you had, you had to like run it. Did you run it past like uh, gay friends and stuff to see how authentic they thought it felt and stuff um, like that? Actually, no, I, I that that'd be interesting to see if anyone um reads that and it is you know, like wait a minute you did that wrong but no <laughs> you you have a good, good valid point I did not run um that by any of my gay friends to see what they thought but I basically like I said I just treat them as people I gender that gender was an interesting thing throughout this because we're dealing with a hotel that has access to I, I keep referring to it as a thousand thousand worlds because I'm not going to give an exact count Georgia Armand might know. But he would never tell because that's too much information. Doesn't want people to have. But so you figure a thousand, thousand worlds, gender, sexuality, religion, all that is so you know varied. So, so what are you talking about there? A thousand, thousand worlds. Yeah, the hotel has doorways into um a thousand, thousand worlds. So that, that's amazing. Yeah. I've often thought about uh, uh, concepts like that. Like uh, things, I've I've actually had uh, thoughts about a hotel that would like go on forever and have doors to different places and stuff like that. And I think there's like fiction about that. It was and in, like the, the popular infinity train and so stuff like that. It was an interdimensional hotel and it was a device that I use to send the, the characters to different worlds to do different things. Hmm. Yeah. But I, I, I've, I played into and um, explain kind of how the doorways and stuff work and get into a lot of that. But I'm probably when, a lot more timid than you. If I were to write a book about uh, two gay characters, I'd be very like, am I, am I doing this right? I've got, I've got to consult with like the, the gay community and make hmm. sure I'm not, like doing stuff to to like uh, to really <clears throat> distort things and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, it, it, some of it's interesting. Like Armand, one thing I realized in writing him, he would be asexual. He has no real sexual drive per se. But one of the big things in the second story is Georgie breaking through some of that, and he's more attracted to Georgie just because of who Georgie is. It doesn't matter what sex, gender, any of that. Armand's attracted to Georgie because Georgie makes, you know, that was actually an ongoing thing is Georgie breaking through. Armand's a very serious guy. He does not show emotions. He's very focused, all that. And Georgie can break through that and make him kind of enjoy life. Uh, and that's, so I, that's pretty fascinating because I, I like, I enjoy like discussions about like different sexuality. Like we, we, we like to try to put things into like uh, gay, bi or straight right. and, there's a lot of different variations in how all of that works. And I, I love talking to people about their own personal experiences about that and everything. And a oh, yeah. lot of it is very different from each other. Yeah. But th that's why I said I treated them both as individuals. I wasn't looking necessarily at their sexuality, but I'm like, who are they? How do they get here? And I, I looked at a lot of characters like that throughout it. Cause like I said, thousand thousand worlds, the diversity that's going to be there is a strong thing. And so gender, sexuality, religion, all that, each one is going to be different and there's going to be different elements within it. And you have to treat it with respect. And so that's why I wasn't too concerned with, um, you know, are the, does this offend homosexuals? 
Armand, I never looked at as he's a gay character. He is a character who happens to be in love with another male. That makes him gay by definition, but I never, I, I never Depending went to Depending on the definition you're using for gay. True. But I never went to his character saying, he is gay. I said, he is Armand. Let's write him from that. And he's just in love with Georgie, who Georgie also, yeah, Georgie happens to be in love with Armand, and the drag queen has some almost of the more stereotypical stuff to him. But at the same time, I'm not looking at that saying, oh, I have to emphasize the gayness. Like, no, I'm, I'm emphasizing who Georgie is, and that, you know, that's the focus. You know, that, that's another thing, too. Um, there, there's a, a lot of sneering about, like, being basic if you're, like, just going by stereotypes and stuff. But there are people who fall into those stereotypes. Yeah. And um, uh, there's uh, exploring them, like, uh, exploring uh, some, some people who, like, go for those stereotypes and uh, uh, just, like, aren't, uh, aren't ashamed of being part of that stereotype uh, right. is a valid thing, I think. Yeah. Oh, well, no, I'm completely agreed. So, yeah, no, I... I I did think about stuff like that in going into the characters. Armand would and fit. So Armand would fit some of those stereotypes. I mean, he, he's I'm first and foremost a performer, right? In his performance, uh, actually, I don't have Armand performing. Armand, oh, no, I mean Georgie. Guy. Georgie yeah. is the performer, okay. right? Not Armand. Georgie is the performer, right? Yeah. For, and I would say that he's a performer first, right? His his right. whole thing, even when I was running those games, was his show, right? Yeah, that, that's very much um, who he becomes, and right. um. At, at the hotel, he is all about the show, all about the, hey, yeah. I love people. Look at all these people I get to meet. Oh, my God, you guys are awesome. You're different. You're unique. I love you. Yeah. That's how I always envisioned um, yeah. Armand. Sure. Georgie, you mean. Georgie. 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 <laughs> Armand <laughs> is not a people person. No, Armand is not a people person. No, he, no he's neat. That, 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 if you want to look at stereotype gay, he, he doesn't like a guy, but he is very neat, very stylish, very much, you know. He's never going to wear anything do, do, less than this. <laughs> sure. But uh, that, that's about it. the main stereotype you might get with Armand is how neat and well-dressed he is. Outside of that, no, he, he's not a people person. He's very much, a, you know, you get on his bad side, but he's also very practical and down-to-earth in business. The inspiration so. for some of this was the birdcage. Yeah. And actually, um, my incredibly talented... Um, artist friend who did the cover um Kaz Camp said that he's like you know what, what you described me I was thinking of the bird cage yeah, like, absolutely. yeah absolutely apparently the initial yeah. inspiration so the, I mean not for the that. not for the hotel so much right not not for yeah. our for our um for Armand but for Georgie's piece of it definitely yeah so so right. <laughs> that, that's the book please check it out um I actually invested real money into this this time so wow. It is something I am promoting. I do have one geek podcast called um, 50, Geek 5280 or is it 5280 Geek? I think it's 5280 Geek um, that I'm going to be on hopefully in the next week or so to talk about it and I put a couple other feelers out. So hopefully I'll be out there promoting it. But like I said, you know, th this is a huge deal for me. This is my first real push at something like this and I'm hoping it's a success. So, so I'd love to see some support. Are you self-publishing, or did you get like uh, uh, a deal with uh, some publisher? No, full self-published. If I tried to go through a publisher, it probably would take a year or two just to get anywhere and get it out there. And I decided I was going to go and take the risk and do the self-publishing route. I approve. Yeah. I, I approve. I, I think you know, like I, I love the idea of people putting out their own content and uh, people deciding for themselves uh, whether it's worth it or not. Yeah, and I'm already working on the second book. 
And even the third, that was interesting. An idea came to me about the third one. It's like, ooh, I know where things are going. Okay. So they, they'll each be standalone, but trust me, um, the, the stuff in them, I, I hope, is interesting enough. From what I've gathered from the people who have test-readed it and are reading it right now, I'm getting good feedback. So and Now, you said you're getting an uh, audio version of your, your last story, uh, The Cost of Leveling, leveling It Up. Are, are you getting an audiobook version of this one? Um. Yeah, um, probably. I, I do plan to, um, because people do ask for audiobooks, so be easier for me. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I, I, like, I've got a bunch of print books. I almost like I, I'd really like to read them, but I almost never do anymore, just because listening to an audiobook while I'm doing chores or something is just so much more convenient. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. You, I, I hear enough of that. That yeah. So, um, I will be looking into doing the audiobook for George Mon's place. Uh, don't have any time frame on that though. All right, but the book is available. It's a, yep. it's just six bucks uh, for six the Kindle. bucks for the Kindle. Yeah, so very affordable. And uh, the print may feel a bit high, but understand once more, I'm self-published, so um, uh, yeah, so, Amazon takes out a nice big yeah. chunk. Wow. Okay. I, I do I, appreciate that the ebook is a lot less. I mean, uh, a yeah. lot of the time, I will find that uh, I'm looking for a book and uh, the the ebook is is priced at more than the electronic books and i'm like I, i've seen some why? weird stuff like that yeah I, I i don't get that but um although actually it, that i do have the deal up where if you buy both the print and the kindle version the kindle version um is only 2.99 so mm-hmm. if, if you buy the print version then buy the kindle you save three bucks i'm not sure why i'd want to do that <laughs> people do yeah I, I i think that that i might actually do that because i want the cover <laughs> I, I I love the cover. Yeah, that came out beautiful. So, no, I, I was very pleased with Chaz's work. But he's a local um artist, really talented guy, really cool to hang out with. So, awesome. All right, good. Well, well thank you guys for yeah. promoting me and interviewing me. <laughs> yeah, sure. Unfortunately, we can't. Next really... week on the Amateur's Guide to uh, <laughs> to new books out there. <laughs> to be fair, this is the most fair we've been to anything you've written because we didn't um, embellish. <laughs> well, I think and you want to see by, how well embellish you mean oh, yeah. completely making up the entire plot of the book, right? That's what <laughs> that is what I mean by embellish. Yeah, that. No, so, yeah. Well, actually, the, the, my theory on that is you're really treating me real nice. You want to promote this because if I suddenly make millions off, you can say, "Hey, where's my cut?" That's right. Where's my cut? Where's <laughs> my... <laughs> you can start going to the conventions. Be hey, I created George Ramon's place. That Ian Hack, he just stole my ideas. Listen, I, I, I'd be if you can make a living off of off of writing books. Uh, kudos to you. Because it's Thanks. not easy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and like I said, this is all me. So the editing, um, everything was all on, on me. I, I hired an actual editor, but beyond, you know, that came back to me. I still had to use her note to finish up the final thing. So I, I've read this novel a good six or seven times now. Sure. So there are still going to be little mistakes, but this should be, you know, far better than it, it would have been if I just threw it out there. Sure. So. All right. <sighs> hey, Ian. What time yes. is it? What, what time is it, Ian? Oh, uh, well, here in the mountain time, it's uh, 5.39 p.m. Oh, for fuck's oh. sakes, play along. <laughs> it's Ian and Dumbass is The Amateur Skeptics present Ian's Masturbation Moment, brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Dumbass Media Empire, bringing you content that touches people, 
while they touch themselves. Are you happy now? I am. Yes, I am. I'm much happier now. And and we're going to talk about masturbation suits. Yep. Let's see. Ripple masturbation suit offers sex aids to people with disabilities. Yeah. So basically, there's they come up with this suit that you can put on and has like air pockets and stuff that you can somewhat manipulate and adjust. Um, and basically the idea is that for people who have disabilities and can't actually get themselves off, um, you would help them put on this suit, take them to the, um, wherever they want to get busy at, leave them alone, let them do their thing. Um, then when they're over, they can actually signal their caretakers to come in and help them, get out of it and clean up yeah this is uh, okay and so i mean so and it's supposed to work for both men and women yeah and it's so it, it really is a a full suit that you would put somebody in right covers the chest and groin area and then there's actually also a um a blindfold that um does some funky sensory things i, I was watching the video and trying to figure it all out but it's supposed to help you relax and it says it releases um, pheromones. Yeah, what the fuck does that mean? That's where I'm going to call bullshit. I don't know. I It doesn't go into details about the technology. But it, it um, the mask has, it says sound, smoke, relaxation, releases pheromones, and supposed to, I thought it did a couple other things in the video. So, but, I mean, pheromones would have to come from a gland, which means that they would have to be replicated somehow. So you you would have to actually be buying pheromones to add to this. That's what I, I was thinking. And are they um, human pheromones? And if so, where are they coming from? No idea. That I said doesn't go into the technical details. Yeah, that, I, 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 you know, a lot of this seems okay. It's adding, it's applying pressure to certain places. Um, it's uh, the idea is that uh, after after climax, it it will kind of um, what constrict in certain places and to make you feel like you're being hugged and yeah, it has a and, and warm up. Yeah. So it's supposed to, in the aftermath, it's supposed to feel like there's, you know, a hug kind of thing going on. Yeah. It, it's definitely interesting technology and one of those things where you really don't think, yeah, those people probably might actually enjoy getting off. Hmm. You know, it, you know, it, it so. seems to me like if, if I was in a situation where I had to be taken care of this way, it seems to me like it, it, if I were to ask somebody to put on this suit for me and leave me alone for a little while, I, I might as well just you know, pay for somebody to get me off. That's, uh, well, I had the same thought. Well, but the, the one thing that I would jump in there is the legality. And cost. But, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and this is something you'd have handy. It's like, you know, especially, you now I can see some people being embarrassed asking their caretaker to help them in and out of this suit. But you, you figure the people that use this probably have a good relationship with their caretaker. You hope. And, yeah. And so, you know, th- there's some level of giving them a little control that I could see, um, them liking you know it's like okay i have control over when i get off if i'm in the mood to get off i don't have to wait for someone else i just have to get into this well suit, you, you do have to wait for somebody else to yeah. get you into the suit and, and that, that seems like a would be a laborious process hmm. yeah that's a, that yeah, is you know, I mean, I may, might be a good uh a, a, a good option for some people it's one of those things you never really think about and like okay i, I could see there being a need for this and i can see people actually you know, buying it. I, I think there is a group out there that would use it. I know I've got uh, at least one friend who's in a wheelchair, and um, I'm only telling you uh, about this because he he brags about it. So, and I'm not, but I'm not going to mention any names. But he he brags about uh, the women he uh, hires to service him. Um, 
and uh, that that's a thing that he he does for his own gratification. Um, sure. And uh, so, like, but yeah, um, seems seems like that would be a, a much more uh, uh, streamlined convenience option than having somebody put you in the suit and then leave you alone for like half an hour or something. Seems a little cumbersome for to, for yeah yeah for that it, yeah. But like you say, yeah, but the, legality and cost could 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 affect that. But yeah, there's a, a few issues where I can see this being the advantage. So the suit does not look easy to get into. That's one of the issues I have. Mm. You think so? They, they don't. All they show is a picture of them putting the top part on a wall. But yeah, we don't see the, how the bottom part, which looks to me like you just put on like you would pants. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. And how exactly does it work? You said they're air pockets. Does it like vibrate or something? Um, the, the, um, yeah, it has a piece that vibrates uh, vibrates on the genitals. Yeah, and the air pocket will fill up and give pressure. And it's more than just genitals. It does, um, you know, the chest and stuff and other. You can. It sounded like there was some programmable level to it. Yeah, it did uh, suggest so that you, you could adjust the intensity and. Yeah. And I, and I guess you'll you'll want to like have somebody who you like you you really trust to like put you in the thing, take it off, and then clean it out for you afterwards too. Oh, oh, yeah, but if if it's a caretaker, the caretaker probably does some nasty cleaning up after the person, anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, no, but I mean, like uh, emotionally, like that that that's a that's a big thing to yeah. to share with somebody, even somebody who like uh, wipes your ass after you poop or whatever. That's uh, that's something that. Uh, yeah. I think not everybody will be comfortable sh- uh, sharing that part right. of their life. It's someone you have to have a very particular relationship with to begin but with. Here's the question: <laughs> how, how do they use the remote? If I mean, if they can't masturbate, how are they going to use the remote? Like, I mean, how much how I, much hand yeah. control do you need to have for the remote? It looks pretty simple. So it it does, but if you don't have arms, yeah, well, yeah, that it doesn't go into. There'll still be certain situations where this um, wouldn't help the person. Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not questioning the the need or why this might be a good thing. I am questioning the execution. I, I'm not. I'm not convinced. I, I mean, I really I'm like sure. I'm sure uh, this won't. This won't be a good solution for everybody. Sure. Right. But I mean, I guess I'm glad it's out there. Right. I mean, if it helps somebody, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, the more options people have, the better. I agree. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Ready to move. Oh, of course. We have to talk about me some more, don't we? (laughs) Yes. Let's talk about Generation Me. Me. Right. Right. The podcast is all about me. (laughs) Not exactly. Generation. Oh, I see how you are. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, we already did the all about you section right at the <laughs> beginning, like we normally do. Right, but that's what the whole podcast now is about. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you, you you started this off with with an article called "How Generation Me Works." Yeah. Well, yeah. I figured the first thing is um, somewhat define Generation Me is. Yeah. And right. So, define cause, it. Cause he, he, <laughs> yeah, you were the one that um, started it. And had, I'm like, Generation Me, when officially does that fall into place? I've never been good with the whole ge- Generation Who's Who thing. I, I, I Technically, I believe I'm Generation X. And uh, uh, is, is, genera- is, is, is Generation Me and uh, an actual categorization that people it's, use? It's, well, no, I, it's not. It's, I, it's millennials, right? So well, Yeah, but uh, interestingly oh, enough, okay. looking at it, it also the baby boomers at one time. Ter- 
time were referred to as the Medjish. Well, that's the thing. That Which That's the catch incredible. here is that uh, yeah. every generation prior was referred to as the me generation, right? So there's uh, some like issues a, with that. Every generation. The, the young kids these days are so selfish. They're all about themselves. Right. Yeah. But it, it's one of those that gets thrown around right now. It's generally referring to... Um, Generation Y, which, which is, is yeah. uh, well, everyone born in the early 80s up to the turn of the century. So that's like a almost 20 year gap. So and people born right. in the really? 70s. I thought that was the millennials, like the like 80 to 1999. Yeah, well, and, and that's once more where I always get confused with all the different um, generation titles, because um, I, I, I think, yeah, that's also the millennials as well come into that. Like, wait a minute. You know, what titles, what, what goes where? But that that I will actually bring up the whole issue. From it looks like me and Brian both found similar things talking about the problem with the labelings of generations. Yeah, it, it, you know, and even the book that I read, Generation Me, points that out. Right, that it that they are putting hard numbers on it for the purposes of research, but it but it doesn't work that way, right? Because it's it's a constant rolling change. So mm-hmm. it's hard it's hard to say this is where the change happened because it didn't. For for happen necessarily right there, yeah. but there was something that it led up to it, and it slowly mm. took place. And when it was solidified, then then you have it, right? But mm. even that's, I mean, I guess you can't really say any of these are ever solidified because it's a right. constant change, and that's right. one of the issues with the research. And we're also dealing with individuals, and not you know the are groups that fit more into this. You know, we were just talking about stereotypes of homosexuality. Same with the generational stereotypes. Yes, there are people that fit into these stereotypes. But there are also lots of individuals that don't even come close. And so, you know, that, that, that's one of the things definitely look at whenever you're talking about any generation is, yeah, you have some stereotypes that you want to use, but it, it, it's much more complicated. Well, in, and even the person um, that did the research uh, for, for Generation Me, what she said is that these are all just general trends. It, it, it doesn't mean everybody, you know, is going to is, is exactly this. Right. They're, right. She, what she was looking at specifically, which is these general trends. But I guess we'll get there. Let, let, let's, um, let's finish. What, what else do we need to know about, about Okay, this? So supposedly the present generation me uh, rejects tradition, believes in themselves, went to college, and some of them stayed there. <laughs> yeah. They're unfiltered. They appear to shun hard work, and they want to be seen as individuals. Okay. So yeah. th- those are basically the stereotypical traits that they're that this article is saying is part of the present generation me i mean when you say appear to shun hard work that's like uh like some of these are like every adult's criticism yeah. of the yeah. younger generation they 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 just don't work as hard as we do i, I remember way back when i would have been 19 or 20 <laughs> i had just done an eight day shift at the arcade and i was tired i get out of there i end up in an elevator with one guy and he's asking how you day uh, how was your day? I'm like, ah, oh, just did eight hours. I'm beat. Oh, well, puh, wait until you grow up or something like that. I'm like, seriously, I know grownups that can't handle eight hour days. Yeah. You know, well, so everyone's beat after eight hours of work. One of the things that, um, that if, if you listen to the podcast that they talked about the prior generation to the boomers, the greatest generation, right? As if that's not a narcissistic name. <laughs> oh, you yeah. got that? Uh, uh, yeah. I actually looked up about the greatest generation. Apparently <laughs> that uh, all day. That all goes back to Tom Brokaw coined that. Sure. Yeah, that was one. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, and that, that, and it is possible that that generation actually did work harder than the boomers. And the, the boomers were, were maybe, maybe less. I mean, there might be some truth to some of that. 
But has it gotten worse since since the boomers? I I mean, it's hard to. It, I I don't know. Right. I mean, after- well, I mean, when we're talking about the greatest de- generation, uh, we're basically talking about people who lived through the, pre- the depression and fought through World War II, which. Uh, okay, that will tend to uh, that those kinds of experiences will tend to give you like a uh, a real um, appreciation uh, for uh, for like appreciating what you've got and mm. uh, like working for to, yeah. to get what you have. Well, my grandfather didn't trust banks because he had lived through the depression and I guess some other bank collapse. I guess those two main bank collapses at the early last century. He lived through both of those, so he didn't trust banks. You know, he had some issues, but one of the interesting things talking with him when he, when he was being fully honest, and we had some conversations about the differences in the generations. And one of the biggest things is his generation hit everything. He even more admitted that to me. If there was a problem in the family, no, you you ignore it, you move on, you act like it didn't happen, you you don't address it, you don't try and fix it, you just you know hide it in the closet. From what I gathered talking with him, you know, he, he they, they even knew it. The whole, you know, fairly um, basic topic would like sexual molestation. Oh, the, the creepy uncle did something to one of the kids. You don't go to the cops. You don't make this public. You, you know, obviously you, you try and be more protective of the kid if you know about it. But no, it, it doesn't go public. You don't you don't admit it even happened. Really. Right. And, yeah. And that, that's one of the that's one of the things that uh, like in um, what we're going to mention, like Jean Twinge and uh, her research on this. It's one of the things I, that she mentions, like there's been a trend towards a lot more individivism where like individual experiences matter more than uh, protecting the family. into social lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that was one thing that d- I definitely can see. You know, I- anyone I have talked to from my grandparents' generation has had a level of that. Um, I know from my ex-wife's grandparents as well and, and some of her stories about what happened in, in that family. There was a lot of hiding what had happened and ignoring it and pretending it didn't happen. And then, of course, it surfaces decades later and becomes a huge family drama because now you have to face what you did way back then. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, um, that, that's when I, you, you want to label generations. That's one of the biggest changes I've seen. You know, our generation isn't standing for that crap. <laughs> Honestly, if, if you know, if you have a creepy uncle, guess what, buddy? We're calling the cops on you. We're, we're getting you the help you need. But one of the main things we're doing is we're getting you away from everyone. You can't do any more harm. And we're mm-hmm. going to treat the victims as if, you know, you something happened to you, something dr- drastic. Let's get you some therapy. Let's get you some help you need. Instead of just trying to say, you know, man up, grow up, you know, it, you'll get over it. We don't do that attitude anymore. We're getting better about it. It's still there. So, I'm actually, I mean, I, I, mean, I, mean, I think part all. of it is the, is the whole, um, I, I think uh, in the past, and uh, I think that like um, this shows a lot in biblical times, like blaming uh, the sons for the crimes of the father. Like there, there's like the old archaic idea of the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Right. Like if, if somebody in one family does something, you look down on the whole family for it. Mm-hmm. I think we're we're getting past that in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. So that, that's one thing I'll put in there that. Yeah, you can look at um the the greatest generation, the baby boomers X and now, and you can see a progression like that of yeah, there's been changes in our society, changes in the way we deal with things, and I think it's I think it's for the best, and it, it does lead to some more you know our society doesn't look as good, 
but that's because we're being honest instead of trying to paint a picture. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why the Greatest Generation was able to hold that label. We're going to paint the picture that we are such a perfect society. So there was a lot more conformativity is, is yeah. what, they're, what they're talking about in the 1950s, where you, know, you kind of conformed to, to what society was expecting you to do. And they actually talk about some interesting and, research. And I think we should like uh, specify that we're talking about Western culture here, too, because there's yeah. still cultures all over the world where where it's like uh like the the nail that sticks out needs to be nailed down kind of yeah. deal and, and they go back and forth you look at the middle east before the cold war the middle east was actually quite liberal that right. they um were a pretty good healthy society women could wear slacks and stuff and go to school and do all you know everything so well, one of the things that so there was it, a- it, it, it goes back and forth yeah. it, it, it's not a solid line of Oppression happens and it gets better. It gets better and can go backward. And it, go ahead, and it does it slowly, right? And that's one of one of the issues with with these classifications. You know, of, of trying to just say, well, these are these are millennials and these are Gen Xs and this is the greatest generation. Those lines right. are so blurred, right? And and they and it doesn't apply to everybody. But one of, one of the yeah. things that that uh, they talked to, uh, they talked about was a piece of research that they had done, a couple of pieces where um, they they would um, they would get like four or five people and they, they would have these lengths of rope and they would ask the person, which rope is the longest one. And the first five people would answer it incorrectly to see what, what the, what the fifth person is going to do. And there was a time when people would kind of, well, they would just answer what everybody else answered. You know, uh, you know, they, they would answer it wrong. Essentially they replicated this, this research in the 1980s and people weren't having it. Right. So there are, there are shifts Right to to that to that you know to that me generation that still, they're talking about. I understand about. most people still pick the one that everybody else chooses. Though. Is that true? Yeah, there's still yeah. I, I, I recall in school and stuff like that. You, um, you know, you quite often were afraid to be an individual. Right, what everyone seeing, said, yeah, I'll I'll go along with because I don't want to cause any strife. Right, but we're seeing less and less of that. Where where people right. are more likely to be less concerned about what other people think, and and that. Ha- and they and in the book Generation Me, they talk about the positives and negatives of that, right? And one of the things that that is very important when the people that are doing this research are not using it to stereotype people. They're they're not talking about the asshole in the cubicle next to you that that is an old piece of shit that just wants to complain about the youth, right? That that that's not what the what the people that are doing this research are trying to accomplish. And that's how they sometimes will get painted. So they mm-hmm. they might be wrong about things. And in the and as we've seen, they're happy to have those discussions, right? Because of, they're they're talking about the research and, and what they have found. And if they keep their ego out of it, which um, is it is it Gene Twick was mm-hmm. was pretty good about doing that, and and they had a good discussion, even though you know um, uh, Adam Conover doesn't exactly agree with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but one of the main things that that comes up is the narcissism thing. And this is the and this is I think the piece that that pisses off people the most, and I can understand it that their whole generation is being classified as more narcissistic than the previous generation. Right. Well, uh, we do have you know we we're talking about you know you're supposed to put down the, the new generation. I hate that. That's always driven me crazy because I, I see all this anti-millennial stuff that comes out, although they all focus on one of the dumbest things, which is the participation trophies. Which I'm sorry, participation trophies existed in my youth. And I don't know a single yeah. kid that ever cared about them. Like, oh, cool, thank you. I'll throw it. I'll put it on a shelf and ignore it. Right, exactly. No, I, no. I, I, I'm 
I, I'm 42 years old, and that kind of thing happened when I was young. Like, uh, if if you went to just like some sort of uh, sports day or something, you get like a ribbon or something. Yeah. I know my parents signed me up for a sports team or something where they where they actually paid a fee to get me in, and we we got a little trophy uh, for participation, but like the winners got like a really big trophy. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it, it kind of looked nice on our dresser, but it's not something yeah. that we were not like, a single kid. Yeah, proud. No. Not a single kid bragged about them. They still don't. I, I don't know where this idea that um, participation trophies are this horrible thing. They're okay. They're kind of nice in some ways saying, yeah, you were part of a team at one. That's <laughs> not a bad thing. I honestly think it was more the trophy um, people saying, hey, how can we sell more trophies than <laughs> anything else? I, I, seriously, I, I don't know a single kid that ever said, hey, I want a participation trophy. No. <laughs> um, and they, like I said, I, I don't believe for one moment that millennials are that big into going, oh, look, I have a trophy because I participated. No, that's not something you brag about. I've never heard anyone ever once brag about. It. Yet, if you look at all the criticism on millennials, that's one of the main things that keeps popping up is the participation trophy. And right. I, I, I'm, I'm, like, like I said, I'm 42 years old. Depending on which which scale you use for millennials, I'm uh, I'm older than uh, the generation used for millennials. I didn't get the impression that this was something new when I was getting the trophy or anything. I don't yeah. know Same here. Uh, how how old this uh, this thing is, but. Uh, like, yeah, I never did very well in sports. I got participation trophies and stuff. Uh, I didn't hold them in high esteem or think that, like, I deserve, like, a whole lot of praise just for showing up. It, it's it's right. a dinky little trophy. And yeah. nobody... So I have no idea where that stereotype came from, that, that um, millennials are big on the participation trophies, and that t- tells them they've earned something they didn't earn. Yeah, but did they participate? Yes. So they earned it. Right. But it's boomers that are complaining about this, and they created that fucking generation. Um, actually, I've seen people of my generation complaining. Sure. I know a couple, I've had a couple friends who have put on the anti-millennial, um, videos and stuff and have joked about the, um, oh yeah, look at them getting their participation trophy. And I'm saying like, okay, you grew up same time I did. You, if you participate in something, you would have gotten a participation trophy. So my only, my well, only thought is they didn't participate. Like not, yeah. As though like getting a, a little ribbon for something is, is going to like do anything for us. Like. Those ribbons, we threw them away. <laughs> we yeah. don't have them anymore. It's not something right. that we proudly display to all our friends. Like even people who had trophies, if they got a participation trophy, they'll like either throw it away or hide it behind all the other trophies. Yeah. So that, you know, and that's the problem is, well, I just said the, the people I've seen people in my generation putting down millennials, which aren't that big of a separation between the generations. Like you said, if they're born in the mid '80s, they're about ten years younger than me. That's not that big of an age difference. That's not that big yeah, of an age difference. In the eighties, I think most schemes would put them as a millennial. Yeah, if they're born so, in the eighties, yes. Yeah. So the, the the millennials are practically my generation, almost close enough that I share a lot in common with them. I've had a lot, a lot of the same influences would still be there. Well, but uh, but I most mean, of that, my friends would be counted as a millennial. Right, but but here's yeah. the problem. It, once again, because they they that nineteen eighty is arbitrary. And Jean mm-hmm. Twick agrees that that that's arbitrary, right? Mm. She she, right. but that but they have but you, when you're doing this kind of research, it is useful to draw a line somewhere. You mm-hmm. you, you kind of have to, um, right? Otherwise otherwise you don't know at all what you're talking about, and that and then and yeah. then you're talking about it in general terms, but these people that were born for that you know that twenty years. Um, I, mean, I think it would, might be more useful just to call them like cohort A and cohort B or whatever, just to, to make it like scientific or whatever. The, the but. problem is that I find 
I find the label Generation Me slightly insulting. And I think that and that is yeah. the problem with it. Where Generation Y, Generation whatever, that's fine. But when these things are used to slander people, it's a problem. Yeah, well, we need to not be putting down the other generations. We need to you know, work together and say, yeah, every generation has its problems and strengths. Let's look at that and, you know, Focus on that instead of trying to make a, uh, you know, we have an ego thing. We know that. We love to believe we are the best. That's um, one of the problems with it. You know, my generation is the best. You know, we knew what hard work was. We knew um, how to be respectful to our parents. We biked everywhere. We didn't complain. We didn't sit around on computers all day, blah, 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 whatever the bullshit you want to see. see but when you, when you start talking like that. I, I saw this, this video from, uh, I think it was like the 50s or something. And it was like a, a management video about um, uh, how to uh, like uh, understand the, the the people coming into the bit and that, like how to train them and stuff. And uh, it, it was like one of one of those um, things that tries to put a narrative, like one guy talking to another. It's like, and, and even then, the the guy was like, the kids these days, they just don't know what they're about. They don't want to put in the hard work on doing this. And uh, uh, then uh, about uh, like how you reach out to them and stuff like that. Uh, talk, talking to the guy, and I'm like, yeah, they were saying these things way back then. Mm-hmm. It is true, and and here's the thing: is that once again, Gene Twick, Gene Twick didn't deny that, but there are she feels that there are some indications that 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 the generations now are that there that there's even uh, a heavier dose of that. And right, I mean, like uh, her her um yeah uh, her research uh, focuses like they they have this um and uh, Adam was commenting on it how they called it uh, what, what sorry what was the word again uh are you talking about the this the uh, how they measure uh, narcissism yeah what, what, what's the what's the narcissism that's yeah, the right test. narcissism yeah, that's the word I'm looking a, for the narcissistic a, scale yeah. which um doesn't it, it like uh it, it's a little bit of a misnomer there because uh if you score higher on the narcissism scale, it doesn't mean that uh, you're narcissistic because uh, it's just a lot of it is question like uh, I see myself as a good leader or I am assertive thing, things like right. that, which you know, like if you if you answer positively on things like that, it doesn't mean like you're, you're a narcissist. Um, it can it can like um, like extreme ends of the, the scale will show mm-hmm. narcissism and she shows that there is an increase in that but still most people don't uh rate that high on this scale but narcissism in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing you want to be pro- you know we're promoting well, no, my no, no. book at the beginning of this guess what i'm proud i wrote that i think it's a brilliant wow. thing i hope other people enjoy it um right but here's i mean here's like a, here's uh, narcissism she describes okay. as an extreme example of uh of self-confidence and stuff like that that just really extreme believing that you're that uh you're deserving all this praise and you're not willing to uh uh look at any self-detrimental type of thing that that's a that's an extreme mm. level I mean, yeah yeah but she made, she made a of, distinction of pride pride in what you can do and uh your abilities she she made uh, it is not a bad thing she made a distinction between narcissism and narcissistic tendencies right that the and in even though you might have some stuff that that are on that scale doesn't make you a narcissist. And, and that's one of the things that she, that she did point out um, that when she was talking about the narcissism and, and I think it's one that she's done talking about too, when you, when you get to the end of the podcast, when they, when they looked at, I think it was the boomers in some of the earlier generations that, and the, and the other problem is that their, their sample, um, the people they're sampling are 
college students. And when you look at that data, um, the early generations had about 17% narcissism compared to compared to this, what she calls Generation Me, that had 30% on, on, you know, and this is, and this is, you know, after, after they, the surveys that, you know, they all filled out. This is using survey data, which is always a problem. Right. Um, and, but, but they may have missed, they discount the, the fact that there are many more women in that, in that second batch and that women used to, They'd be lower on the narcissism scale, but might have caught up to men. Mm. And so, and so, it might be that 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 women have just um, become as narcissistic as men, right? Or at least as more, as they become as self confident as men. Sure. I think I'd say. Yeah. Exactly. And that and that's probably exactly that might be a better way to look at it because they are talking about self confidence. That they are talking about you know this generation that that they've ri- that we've been raising to you know to to have a lot of self-confidence. Um, but when they, and, but what they try and say is that some of it's not all justified yet that, you know, that, and I think that they're, this is where the data seems to break down for me. And I think that they're wrong is that this idea that everybody just feels entitled because, of, because they were raised up to, to think that, you know, they were fabulous just for showing up. You know, on, on a side note, you know, like uh, the idea, like they've, they've done this kind of study a, a few times uh, showing that, most people think they're above average. And I find that interesting because if the vast majority of people think they're above average, well, about half of them are right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> By definition. By definition, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, but when you're, but if you're so, realistic. Yeah, like, so, like when they, 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 Cause like they say that as a, as a detriment, like, Oh, you, you think you're, ha- you're, you're above average and people will like take that to that. You're probably wrong because most people think that, but no, like half of the people who think that are right. Well, yeah. I mean, but it depends on what we're talking about, too, right? I mean, when you like my computer skills are certainly above average, right? Because that average includes my mother, <laughs> who, who's who's terrible with computers. Um, so, yeah, that that I mean, you're going to have you have both. Yeah. I know we, we don't we, we don't seem to have much of a disagreement here. Yes, there are differences in generations, but using them to stereotype is is always a problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's the it's the whole um, generalizing uh, from uh, a mean type of thing. Sure. Um, I think that's the the uh, many to one fallacy that um, basically like it, it, a lot of this is just like an overgeneralization. I mean, uh, we're talking about research. Uh, like, if, if you're like talking about people who are born twenty years apart, like uh, depending on what definition you use. Um, a lot, I think a lot of it like narrows down to somewhere between like 1980 and 1999 millennials. Somebody who was born in 1980 uh, will have had a very different life experience than somebody who was born in 99. Way different. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and once again, I don't think that, that Jean Twick was trying to suggest that, that there wasn't those differences. In fact, she, she points it out in her data. Mm-hmm. She, she looks at, cause she, she breaks it down to the first half of the millennial group and the second half of the millennial group. And uh, like I, I haven't read her book, but from from what I understand, like like she she's um she she even even breaking it down like that, she's talking about a wide range of uh, of people and uh, and experiences. You you can only say very general stuff, and a lot of what she's saying is just basically uh, people have uh, become a lot more individualistic. Yes. Yeah. But once more, I, I don't see that as being a bad thing. <laughs> It no, isn't, it, it isn't a bad I don't, thing. I don't think it's a bad thing, too. I see myself as being very individualist. I think I have a lot in common 
with the uh, millennial generation, uh, even though depending on when you measure it, I am older than the millennial generation. But sure, um, I find myself to be like very individualistic, and uh, um, I'm I'm all about uh, individual rights over group rights. Yeah. Well, and I mean, when I, when I'm looking at, at this, I mean, one of the things that's on here that they what is it they uh, oh reject tradition. I mean, <laughs> oh uh, yeah, I, I definitely reject tradition. I reject tradition. Yeah, yeah, same here. Yeah, exactly. All, but, but I, I and to some extent, every generation really does. You, um, you change their traditions. You look at them, and every, every generation has, to some level, gotten rid of outdated stuff and moved on from it. You know, yeah. you know that's true because if there if there wasn't a willingness to reject tradition, then there wouldn't be generation change, would there? Yeah, that that has to come with the generation change. Yeah, yeah, and. and Part of the whole like, thing. Uh, to me, culture, cultures are in a constant cha- state of change. All cultures change over time. Yeah, but we have this idea that kids are supposed to respect their elders, and I have no problem with that. But it should go the other way as well. The elders need to respect the next, the, the coming generation, because there's advantages to them showing respect back. If you respect mm-hmm. the kid, respect their individuality, respect what they're trying to achieve, things like that. It actually benefits them and benefits society as a whole, where they're saying, oh, you kids just don't get it. You have to respect me, but I'm going to tell you how bad everything you do is. All right. I've, I've never bought into the notion that you're supposed to respect somebody just because they've lived longer than you have. Right. Agre- agree there. But there's certainly respect you just show people in general. And there is a oh, cultural course. thing that comes from the, the kids have to show the elders the respect, but the elders don't necessarily have to um, show it back. And that, that's what I'm saying my problem comes from. It's like, yeah. Show it backwards as well. So you know, make sure your, your kids and grandkids are getting are, are getting respected because that's going to help them grow as better people. Whether or not they they want to follow you, want to be anything like you, uh, want to you know take in your values, you still should respect them for who they are because that's going to make them healthier. And that's going to be exciting. And like I said, the whole millennial thing. People my age, people I know, attack the millennials. And I, I never understood why. It's like, what do you get out of that? What, what is gained from putting them down just because you've decided they have different values than you and you don't agree? I've had long arguments with people I know who, uh, who are my age, around my age, who uh, are just like, oh, the young people these days. And uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm like I'm, you're just making the same complaints that people have made throughout time. Yeah. I think you can pretty much say when somebody starts a sentence with kids these days, they're full of shit. I'm yeah. sorry. They're not they're not making a they're not making a reasoned, rational point at that point that they're they're just trying to to, to boost their own egos. Yeah. No, one me one style of meme I will never share is a, when I was a kid, we blah, 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 blah. And all this uh, and, and with kids nowadays, don't know how. I, those memes drive me crazy. I hate them. I will not share them. I will not like them i will you know because it, it is trying to say it, it's trying to create divides that we don't need right and there but but on the other hand right there are differences and, and they need yes. to be acknowledged and they do need to be studied right and, right and so people like like gene twick that's what she is doing and she, mm-hmm. i found and, it i found it very interesting that uh, uh i believe she uh she found like uh one of the one of the things she found like was uh huge increase in mental health issues somewhere around 2012 or so yeah and i um, i wonder and if... that, that well but that goes to what i was saying you don't hide this stuff when uh, when there's right. a problem coming you we deal with it now i think that you know that that change has 
is getting stronger and stronger. And if people are, are getting the mental health they need, it makes sense now. You're not hiding. You're not putting in the closet. The, the kid has issues. You're not just trying to hide him away from society. You want him out there dealing with people. Yeah, my kid has autism. Guess what? You better live with it. And you know, we want him to feel like he's a um, can become a useful part of society. Well, I think that that's mm. exactly right. I mean, when, yeah. when you look at autism, they're they're not more autistic people. We're just better at identifying them. And I right. think that and I think mm. with mental health, it, it there's probably a certain part certain amount of that going on too that there's not necessarily more kids that are depressed but we're better at identifying them on and we're more honest about it sure right about about, uh, like uh gene's uh research uh is more from uh surveys of self reporting uh their issues and stuff so like uh it's less about like uh the the diagnosis and more about like actual like increases in what people are saying about themselves and and the issues that they're facing uh, right, and uh, she's she, she's like investigating whether like modern technology can uh, can cause like certain mental health issues and stuff like that. What yeah. what could be the cause of it? Of course, it's uh, she she admits in in the podcast that it, it's very hard to say what the cause is. You just have to go it from oblique angles and try try mm. to get a get a good angle on what it might be. She was no, pretty- like I said, what I've seen um, and talking with my grandparents, we're just more honest about we're more direct yeah. we're not hiding it we are accepting of them even like i said once more with the autism thing uh, kids that had problems like that you didn't take them out with you you, you kept them at home you you, you know you didn't talk about them much you definitely didn't talk about their issues now you take them out you have them in the stores with you yeah they might have issues they might have fits they might have something but we're less you know we shouldn't be embarrassed about it because you know it, it's people they and exist. we're becoming less yeah. judgmental about it less um trying to hide it, less trying to make people feel bad for having those problems. So that's going to make the mental health um, in society in general actually better. The, the more we accept it, the more we say, yes, people have those, but we can still work with them and make sure they feel like they're part of society. They can be active. They can be human. Right. Yeah, that, that, that is a, a good trend, I think, being less judgmental about people's issues and things. I mean, like uh, when, when you when you look at things happening in history, you just realize that a lot of stuff was just fucked up about how they they thought people should hide their shame and things mm-hmm. like that. Did you uh, either of you realize that there used to be ugly laws on the books in uh, in most? I'm not sure most, but a lot of U.S. states. Uh, oh, that no. wouldn't surprise me. I didn't know that. Uh, just like if you if you had any physical deformity or things like that, you weren't allowed uh, to be in public. You, in the- you, there, there were laws on the books about that. Were there laws in Canada too? Or are you just shitting on us? <laughs> <laughs> there, there may have been laws in Canada. I'm not. I'm not denying that there were laws in Canada. I've only seen the things about the laws in the United States, but it wouldn't surprise me if there were laws about that in Canada too. Sure. Uh, I, I think that I, I felt like Jean Twick was pretty honest about where her data showed and didn't, for the most part. I do, you know. There's, but there is still questions about how they use the data and whether it was used appropriately. And I, it's okay to ask those questions, right? Um, once again, but we can't shoot the messenger, which. Uh, especially somebody who's actually trying to do the data and do the research, right? Like I said, this isn't the jerk in the cubicle next to you. Right. Um, her, her point is not to use this to put generations down. It's just uh, to identify what's going on and what the mm-hmm. differences might be. Right. And like I said, there are some. The, the technology changes that does it alter the way a generation is going to interact with people. Listen, um, we're seeing, we're seeing well, people get married later. And, yeah. and we're seeing divorce rates start to decline. We're seeing people becoming less religious, right? But we're also seeing people that at the same time, 
and uh, being more humanitarian. They care more about uh, mothers who work at home than, than the previous generations did. Um, so, I mean, the the data, while, while we're seeing them talking about Generation Self, they're also, but that generation is also more invested in making sure that the um, inequality as well. Yep. So, so is that is that so narcissistic? I'm not sure, sir. I mean, why why the the, the, the self data is interesting, right? We take care of ourselves, and then and then we can take care of other people, and right. and that's not necessarily a bad way to look at things. No, yeah, and uh, and and there, and there are like books out there, um, like you look at uh, things like um, uh, the better better angels over nature. What's the, the name of the author of that book? Either of you know Daniel Hahnemann. Um, no, um, no, I'm sorry. Right. I was thinking no, that's fast no, no, and no, slow. Right. Um, that is. Uh, Oh, guys, the guy who wrote the book on the brain, too. That, um, Yeah, The Better Angel of Our Nature by uh, Professor... Oh, no. Fail. I know exactly who it is. Let's see. Let's look it up. I was thinking, fa- thinking fast and slow. That's Daniel Hahnemann, but Better Angels of Our Nature. Steven Pinker. Right, yeah. Steven Pinker, yeah. yes. Um, and there was another guy who, who wrote uh, a book, too. Uh, Man, I should have just uh, looked these up before. The like uh, he wrote a similar book, uh, Hans something or other. I think his name was. But yeah, um, uh, the like really good books about uh, how uh, we've just got uh, so much better and so much less violent as a as a society um, in, in recent times. And uh, uh, just like uh, considering this coming down on those kids these days, ruining everything. Uh, seems very misguided. Well, the, the, it does, and particularly because we're seeing um, less, or there's less uh, criminal activity between them as well, right? Between young people. Um, mm-hmm. So, and and, the, and it does, and some of it's cultural because it does kind of break down when you start looking at different cultures in the U.S. And you know, it doesn't apply to everything. But one one of the issues that I have with her research is that it's college students, and as one of the, as she talks about, it's harder and harder to get into college and more expensive. And so we have this, we have the, you know, this selection of people that aren't making it to college, right? They're not getting surveyed. So how do you talk about a whole generation when you're just talking about the kids that got into college? Mm-hmm. So I, I have some issues there, um, but that would be a good question to ask her and, and see mm-hmm. what, what she has to say about it. Yeah. But so far I, I'm enjoying the book. I don't, I, I don't agree with it all, but by any means, but at least she backs it up with what the data that she has and how she, and, and their interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. Which is way better than I say, like you know, the the jerk in the cubicle next to you. Right. <laughs> right. There's a big difference between what what she's saying and, and and you know and what and what old people are using just you know to disparage the young. Right. Yeah, and she um she goes into like we're we're, to, we're just uh, talking about the negatives that people are saying about the this too, but she does go into how uh how a lot of this the um cultural changes is leads to stuff like greater tolerance. Uh, for things like uh, gay people and stuff like that, we were we were going on about uh, Ian's book there. Um, uh, oh, yeah. How how uh, how much of a success would a book like that be, like uh, forty years ago? Right. Right. The the other thing is that you know they um, they made fun of her for saying that maybe maybe these some of these children are more what I don't know exactly know what her wording was but, you know that. They have their uh, more narcissistic because they got the partition patient trophy, and Adam Conover takes her to task for that, and she admits that you know that you know that that probably was not. She didn't quite say that it wasn't the um, an appropriate thing to say, but she admits that that was probably not the the best thing to say. 
and that, that might yeah, not I, be I true. I believe she, she said that she, what, what she said was that uh, it, it's you, you can't really pin a why something happened based on this kind of research. Right. That's just one of the possible things that uh, could uh, be influencing it. But the, the, the research really can't tell you that. Right. And she said she was put on the spot. Somebody asked her the question. But my response to that is then probably then you shouldn't have answered the question. <laughs> right. You should you shouldn't have made that statement. So because he you know, he in his presentation about, you know, about how millennials don't exist. He that's one of the things he brings up is is her saying that and how and how just how demeaning and bullshit that is. And it really was. Um, he he wasn't wrong to, to point that out, mm. and she didn't defend it. She didn't try to defend it either. So that to her credit, she 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 backed off on that. And I I really felt like it like there after looking at all this that I, I feel like there are scientific reasons to break things up the way that they do so that they can do the research. But the if is the problem is that it's being misused to create stereotypes. Right. You know, I'd, I'd kind of like to know, um, uh, like, uh, regarding participation prizes, is, is there a specific time that that started? Because, like I said, I'm 42 years old, and when I was a kid, they were giving out participation prizes uh, to us, and we, we didn't care about them that much. I didn't get the impression that it was a brand new thing or anything like that. I, I, it, was, it, was I, the la- I, it was the lazy piece of shit boomers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is it is Mac a boomer? Is it he fall into that category? <laughs> I'm not sure how much older he is. Uh, I was hoping he'd be here for this, so that we could abuse his generation for a while. <laughs> All right, do we want to do we want to do anything else? Um, I I feel like we're I think I feel like we're done with that. I I I was hoping we would disagree more, but we don't seem to disagree. So, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. Ah, well, well, we might did talk more. about me more, so I'm all... Oh, jeez. I, I knew this podcast was all about me. <laughs> uh, let's see. Arizona Supreme Court green lights discrimination against same sex weddings. Do we want to do, do we want to dive into this? This is this is another one of those. So in Arizona, they they have under their constitution have uh, have basically green lighted that people have the right to serve, uh, refuse service to um, LBGT. Q uh, populations, uh, which their Supreme Court said was okay because of the way their constitution is written. And they seem to think this article, the way that it's written, is that that is going to be protected because of the way their constitution is written. And I don't have any reason to believe that that's not true. And even if it went to our Supreme Court, uh, the federal Supreme Court, I don't think that they would overturn it um, considering our current climate. Um, But this particular case uh comes down to i think it was a uh a company that refused to make wedding invitations for a same-sex wedding that's what it says yeah yeah um and this went to their supreme court and they said yep you can do that based on our constitution now this comes back to is is the law the best way to okay have you read the whole thing because this isn't like someone actually went and did that. This is a company that said, we don't want to ever have oh. to do that. So we're going to court ahead of time and say, we wanted to uh, establish that um, we don't have to do that. I didn't know that was legal. I thought you couldn't do I thought you couldn't establish precedent like I, this until it was actually the, challenged. They asked the court to bar Phoenix from enforcing the law against. Yeah, that, that they. Oh, no. They, that, 
did they did they pass a law saying that they could? Is that what how they how they got this started? Because you can't just go to court if there's no case. They're saying there was a Phoenix ordinance that barred public okay. accommodations. And then what they're saying is the um um that basically they didn't want the laws other laws that were coming in could overrule that. And so they went ahead and was like, no, no, we want it established now before anyone tries to make us have to do this, that we want it established now that the um ordinance that we are saying we should go by is what matters. Okay, so they, they, there was already an ordinance that they were clarifying yeah. or, or rejecting. No, always, the ordinance bars public accommodations from discriminating on the basis of sexual orientation. Okay. So that was being put into play, but there was already, um, they're claiming there was already stuff um, that um, overruled it, saying that the, um, the, laws, the laws were in place said that um, counteracted it somehow. So yeah, the, the company is busy saying we're going to be ahead of the game and not let um, gays um, have any right. That, yeah, no, this is yeah, this is a bit bad. confusing, but yeah. yeah. Okay, so so Monday uh, rule uh, say Monday's ruling Bush and Nib versus Phoenix revolves around the Phoenix ordinance that bars public accommodation from discriminating pu- public accommodations yeah. from discriminating on the basis of sexual orientation. So yes. basically, it's it's a, it's a it's a Phoenix ordinance, but they're saying there's no state law. So the people were wanting to say, "Hey, listen, we don't have to follow that because the state law says this other thing that right. allows us." Right. So uh, in 2016, an anti-LBGT law firm, Alliance Defend Defending Freedom, filed a lawsuit against the ordinance on behalf of uh, Bush and Nibble Studio for a a, a for-profit business that makes wedding invitations. Yeah. No same-sex couple had requested Bush and Nibble's services, but the company, uh, let's see, the company's owner, who is anti-gay, who's an anti-gay Christian, were alarmed by the possibility, possibility that they might have to be compelled yeah. to service a same-sex couple. So, so basically what it was was, okay, um, we want Phoenix to not have to enforce that law because of what the state stuff reads that... Um, is about one man, one woman marriage. Right. Like, so uh, the a- the ADF asked the court to bar Phoenix from enforcing the, the law against any business that supported one man, one woman marriage. A law against that. Okay. Through uh, custom art. Its studio rested on the Arizona Constitution free speech clause as well as Arizona's free ex. Exercise of Religion Act, the F-E-R-A. So they had this in their constitution. Yeah, there's some interesting... It's a bit complicated. Basically, what it's saying is Phoenix tried to pass one thing to get rid of discrimination. These one people who are anti-gay were like, no, we don't want to have to follow through with that because um, the state constitution says this, so it overpowers it, and yeah, and this is going off of the uh, people understand the bakery here in Lakewood, Colorado did not win. No, they got off on a, te- it's a technicality yeah. that in yeah. a bad one. Yeah. They, they didn't technically win. They, it, it was yeah. not declared that, Oh, that you can discriminate um, against sexuality. That that's not been determined yet, but it sounds like if you read through this, um, that some of them was, um, what the Supreme court had declared. Yeah, it's so- like, wait a minute. No, the Supreme court didn't declare anything. The Arizona. Uh, I will point out one thing re- regarding uh, bakeries and stuff. 
if if you force them to have to um, make food for your gay wedding or whatever, you're definitely getting spit in that. <laughs> right. And yeah, but, it goes to some weird areas, but so, but is is the best way to try and create laws that say you have to service them, or is the best way to shame these these uh, these companies uh, out of business that that are trying I, to it, do it this is shit. such a tricky thing. Uh, the thing is, and, and this is what these people don't realize, is they're using exact same arguments that were used 30 years ago um, against interracial marriage. Okay, but is this... And some, some of them actually still are. I've heard that. I've heard companies use that same argument still for, to, um, against interracial. It, it's, but is this different from a restaurant that refuses to serve a senator because he's an anti-gay senator? Is this different than well, all the, the that, shaming the that thing. went off of, of Ted yeah. Cruz? And whenever you see something like that happen, the um the conservative right will jump up and say, "How dare you discriminate against us just because we don't share your views?" Right. Okay. Do you do you want to agree that you should not be discriminated against because you don't share the people's views? That you still should have service anywhere, even if you don't share views with the people that run the place. Ian, why are you not <laughs> being tolerant of their intolerance? But yeah, to me that that's always I mean, one of the um, main arguments right there, and we've I mean, I've seen it. This ties in with the laughing uh, because, like, my view, I, I've got kind of the millennial individualistic view. I want to give people uh, as much freedom to be assholes uh, <laughs> as uh, as I can. You know, I think like in certain cases, civil rights. If uh, like black people aren't able to go out and do anything because of all this. Then yeah, sadly, maybe there needs to be a law that tells them no, you you can't uh, you you can't uh, tell black people that they have to use a separate water fountain. That that's it. Stop that. Uh, you're an idiot. Just, just stop it. Stop it. Stop it. That that might be something that you have to do, but I I, I don't think it it should be a blanket thing that for for every case of discrimination. It's tricky. I'm I'm not sure. Definitely. I'm not sure. I'd like the I. If if we can sh- if, the, if there's another way to shame these people, I'm all for it. Uh, it. It sucks that we even have to consider the fact that we need to make laws about this, right? That that that's the real problem is the fact that it, there's yeah. even a need. Oh yeah, no, I, I agree completely. It's like it, it shouldn't be your concern how other people live their lives. It doesn't just because they come in and want service from you does not mean you're saying that that's right or you're saying you want to be part of it it's just saying you're going to treat them like humans just treat them like humans and you're fine don't don't treat you know yeah they have a different sexuality than me yeah they have a different religion than me yeah they see things different than me yeah you know what the the on the business level i'm going to let it slide i'm going to give them my business i'm going to make some money off them and let them go about their lives i mean I, it shouldn't be that hard to do yeah the problem is being anti-gay didn't hurt chick-fil-a and it probably won't hurt a business in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. The Chick Fil A's do—they're uh, the most crowded restaurants I've seen. It. Well, the problem is that they actually have a good product too. That's that—that's yeah. that, that's, that's a big problem. Is that they have something that people actually want because it's good. Yeah. No, that—that's the thing. It—it—it's it, good quality, good, good, you know. And it's it, no, I, I. I will admit, I do from time to time eat Chick-fil-A now, and every time I've been in a Chick-fil-A restaurant, they have been packed out. The drive throughs will be insanely long. It's like, wow, they, they are doing insane amount of business. We, we don't have Chick-fil-A's here in Canada, so I have no idea what this stuff tastes like. It's okay. So it's really easy for you to boycott them. <laughs> I will never go to Chick-fil-A. 
I I don't I don't <laughs> I don't go to Chick Fil A. I, I I will not go to Chick Fil A. I won't. I won't do it. And it's not because you know. I mean, they. I I don't. It's the same reason I won't. You know, order Domino's. <laughs> I mean, I never. I don't like Domino's. Uh, Chick Fil A is actually good. <laughs> Oh no! You like Papa John's pizza? Yeah, uh, I don't. I, I don't do Papa John's either. If I mm. avoid it, because that guy's a total douche. Yeah. No, I have heard that. That's one thing. I like Chick Fil A. I know my son loves it. Um, I know my dad actually is openly boycotting this now, and I, I, you know, great. I, I, I will not condemn him. You know, stand by your beliefs. I, um, I, I'd love to do that more. I, I, I went a long time without um eating Chick Fil A, but I like a little variety. Well, uh, Papa. The- Here's the thing: is that make your own. You can make you can make something at home that tastes just. As well, good. I can't try the I, when Popeyes gets their act together and has their sandwich comes back out. I'll go and eat, try that. And the other thing, like with pizza, it's really easy for me to 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 boycott a pizza joint because I can make better pizza at home than anything I can go buy. And may, mm. a lot of that's because you know by the time you go buy it and get it home, it's cooled and it's not as good. You pull you pull a fresh pie out of the oven. Oh my God! It's the the best pizza is the pizza you make at home, just because of how fresh it is and how you know how soon you're yeah, eating, but, get that product. You, you it out the Brian, oven. one of the things I do remember about you, <laughs> actually, uh, more than most people I know, put so much effort into your cooking. Well, that's most true. Most of are lazy assholes when it comes <laughs> to cooking. I don't know. Pizza mostly tastes the same to me. People tell me, "Oh, you gotta try the pizza at this place," and I try it and I'm like, "Yeah, it tastes like pizza." Yeah, but I'm telling you, the pizza the pizza you make in your own oven. Of course, I do have a, a, a pizza oven. Uh, <laughs> of course you do. I say you, you put effort into your cooking more than most of the people I know. That's true. You, you are insanely great with that. I the love o- it about you. The only and you haven't that... been cooking anything for me for like a few years That's now. true. What the hell's I, going I, on with uh, that? Well, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> no, but, but I'm saying the main reason that it's better is because of how fresh it is, right? I, we're, yeah. we're pulling it out of the oven and consuming it right away, and you're making the well, pizza like said, that you want. I've made pizza. I know how much work it goes into all that. You have to, you know, monitor it and all this other crap. We're lazy assholes. You're not. Yeah. Stop, yeah, doing, stop right rubbing away. our noses in there. All right, all right, all right. Breathe fire like you're a dragon just because, like, it's so hot. <laughs> you don't have to eat it that hot. All right. What do we, what, what's the, do we want to cover the last thing in here or move on? We're not going to have an argument on that one either, so. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's not a big deal. It's a brief thing. If you guys want to go into it, I'll briefly talk about it. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and cover cover a little bit of science, and then we'll get out of here. All right. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of um, uh, talk in uh, news articles and stuff about uh, this uh, supposedly gel-like substance that they found on the moon. And uh, uh, this was a... <gasps> it was um, cheese, right? It was cheese. It was lubrication. Oh, <laughs> the moon has an active um, social life. Wow! wow. Now, uh, yeah, there, there, there is uh, no uh, or very little atmosphere on the moon, and uh, so like there, there's no volcanism or anything like that. And, and so, like it, it, talking about it's like, wait, how is it possible that there is some gel-like substance uh, on the moon? How, how does that work? And the thing about that, this is, it was a uh, Chinese rover that landed on the moon. And uh, if the page would load up, I will be able to tell you the name of it. But what this appears to be is kind of a mistranslation. People people are saying, what, what this appears to be is uh, the, probably some sort of uh, old uh, volcanic 
glass. Uh, the the it's probably a translation. They probably the the Chinese uh, researchers looking at this uh, probably found something with like a gel like luster or something or, or a shine to it. Uh, there there's no indication that uh, the rover actually went up and like poked this stuff and it wobbled or anything. So like gypsum, which would have a which you could say has a a a, a gel like shine. Right. Okay. Right, and they they figure that the, this is probably from like um like an ancient uh, impact. Uh, where like a rock was liquefied and then solidified in it, you got some like volcanic type glass or something. Sure. Um, there there wasn't uh, too much extra word on this, but a lot of like um news sites like ran with this some sort of mysterious gel on the moon. What could it be? Is it like alien feces? What's going on? <laughs> it's but, just yeah, a mistranslation. Um, it turns out uh, when when you look at it, it's uh it's. Uh, probably just uh, something that was lost in translation. Um, uh, probably like some some interesting science going on here, but it, it's probably uh, nothing all that uh, as interesting as uh, the, some have made it out to be. It's the water bears that were accidentally released on the moon by craft. Those that's actually true. If, if the oh, what are they called? Trilodites or not? not not trilodites. Well, water no. bears. Water bears. You know what I'm talking about. The water yeah. bears. The, yeah. the te- I can't, I'm trying to remember uh, the Tardigrades. Tardigrades, yeah. Yeah, yes. So there's actually a batch of them on the moon right now because a um, probe was launched. With, they were going to you know, do some experiments to see about them, and it actually crashed on the moon. Mm. So technically, there, yes. there are water bears right now on the moon that could potentially be revised because they can survive in a vacuum. So what we're seeing is the water bears have awoken and are starting to colonize the moon. I'll buy it. <laughs> or, or, and, and bear with me here, is a Google Translate error. That's not fun. <laughs> oh. Where's the excitement and adventure in that? Uh, I, yeah, you know what? You're right. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Say goodnight, everybody. Buy my book. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Buy Ian's, buy Ian's book. There's another one in the can. There you go. Not another book in the can, though. <laughs> no, it's in the can. It's been written. Just don't throw it. Read it before you throw it in the can and give a good review. Okay. Don't put it in the round five. If you've made it this far, that's an hour of your time. You're never getting back. But the amateur skeptics appreciate you giving that hour to us. If you'd like to tell us how you felt about spending that hour with us, let us know at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons share-alike, no-derivatives, 3.5 license. Intro music by Peter Canold. Find more of Peter's music at soundcloud.com forward slash P-K-A-N-O-L. Exit music by OFM. Find more of their music at myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. Artwork for the Amateur Skeptics by Sean Smith Ford. Copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture.